Hello and welcome to another episode of Midiara Meets, the monthly music podcast where we talk to a wide range of people from the music scene. This month I'm speaking to Scott Diaz, who's a prolific producer, DJ, remixer and label owner based in Brighton and the US. He's released a huge number of records of his own in the house and garage genres, as well as remixing some of the biggest artists on the scene. He's toured the world DJing and, in 2016, set up his own record label, Grand Plans. I caught up with Scott uh, to talk about his career, his motivations, his influences on a very hot summer's day earlier this year. So let's check out what happened. Um, Scott Diaz, thank you very much for speaking to me today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's really good to join you in your studio here in Brighton on this beautiful uh, summer's day. Yeah, it's hot in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, the first thing um, I like to ask people in my podcast is uh, what were your earliest musical memories? Well, my earliest musical memories would have been my dad playing stuff, um, records, uh, tape, CDs, whatever, Um kind of like rock stuff, Eric Clapton, uh, Led Zeppelin, blues stuff, BB King, Rolling Stones, Johnny Winter, UB40, all that kind of era. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a few other kind of more obscure like bands like Talking Heads, Yes. Um, so I guess that would be considered a bit more sort of experimental kind of stuff for the time. So it was like listening to that and um, and I would just like, I'd listen to the top 40 and I'd like record stuff off the top forty, I'd get my dad ask my dad to like give me a you know tape blank tape or one that I could record over or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'd do that. And sometimes I would like try and mix things on the on the two tapes. They would play, play at the same time, and I'd try to mix stuff. And I remember mixing um, Unchained Melody, The Righteous Brothers. But <laughs> remember when Robson and Jerome covered it? Yeah, do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do. It was yeah, like yeah. a big got in the chart because they were, they were in that ITV program that was doing well. And they were like the the kind of nation sort of uh, they were really popular at the time, right? Yeah. And so they, basically they covered that they covered Unchained Melody um, and uh, it it was like obviously a real slowy and it didn't have much in the way of um, kind of uh, drums right it was kind of very like it was almost I guess it was almost just like a brush kit kind of vibe very very light yeah definitely. so um, I recorded that and kind of it was almost like a reprise version so I thought oh I didn't know it was a reprise at the time but I just knew it didn't have any drums and then I recorded like a dance track and put that on the other uh, deck or the other tape deck and that was um what was it do you remember do you remember uh blur boys boy girls and girls boys, and boys. Or what it was called yeah well there was a dance version of that called uh blurred and it was yes. like they sampled yeah. it and i loved it and it had a piano i think it was by a guy called piano man mm-hmm. um which i think was fat boy slim possibly no it's a guy called it james salmon maybe i think i'm friends with him on facebook now which is really funny because <laughs> i'm like hey you're like piano man you did that song like blurred which i loved like i didn't know it you know anything about it so, but yeah i remember basically just trying to mix those two records together and just being like oh i can kind of put the vocal over this and obviously it was completely out of time and probably completely out of key yeah but i just remember kind of being interested in this idea that like oh you can kind of combine these two things and it makes something different and there's like a different feeling here now and so that was kind of my first sort of you know intro into sort of like doing some kind of mixing i suppose but it wasn't until a few years later that i'd really that i would get into djing kind of dance culture and all that sort of stuff 
Definitely, because I mean, well, first of all, the the bands that you spoke about in the beginning are very. That's a very eclectic range of music. Yeah, there's so many different strains of of blues and and rock, and and yeah, like scary sort of dub dub stuff with UB40. Yep, that's a great sort of smorgasbord of of music to to be listening to. Were you ever tempted to like pick up a guitar? Did your dad? play the guitar no i mean he's basically yeah he's into guitar music essentially is probably how you would describe it like tom petty and all that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. um i think for me i the way that i grew up um we we didn't really we grew up basically with no money so my life growing up wasn't particularly good and my relationship with my dad actually is not particularly good but that's kind of one of the one of the things that um that he's sort of given me if you like yeah um I've, I've got like a kind of love for music because of him um and so I'm, I'm happy i'm pleased for that but but other than that so so going back to your question about learning an instrument it just wasn't a reality for me i just because mm-hmm. i knew that it would cost money and i knew that my parents didn't have it and i knew that um you know there's there's obviously like you just i mean i was kind of growing up the way we the way we lived i was sort of very hyper aware of the fact that we kind of lived a certain way and we didn't have money and stuff so i would never have sort of wanted to put pressure on my parents to be or my mum to be like oh i really want to do this and so like i you know i basically went out at 16 and got a job straight away because i knew that i kind of needed to earn money and Mm -hmm. um i would have loved to have stayed in education you know i did end up going to northbrook college like two years after that um which I went, you know, paid for myself. It was, it was it was a small cost, but nothing like what it would be to go to university today. I think it was like especially eight, nowadays, it's like yeah, a nominal. I think it was like eight hundred pounds for a year or something. It's like two hundred pounds a term or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Northbrook had only been running a year or two at that point. Now it's a completely fully funded sort of public like college, um, but at the time, um, I think it was it was still it was still public, but there was a, a something you had to pay towards it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I went there with a couple with a couple of friends of mine. Um, and I did that kind of a, a couple of years later. But when I initially left school, um, I knew that I had to go out and work. And so that kind of was just, you know, the way I went about things. But I was, obviously I was into dance music by then. I was still going out. I was still putting on my own nights. I was still buying records. Um, and it wasn't until kind of after that that I thought about, oh, I really should learn an instrument if I'm actually going to, you know, make music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should learn a musical instrument. So that sort of came later on. I wish I'd done it when I was when I was four, five, six, because it would give would have given me a massive head start, um, mm. you know. Well, I think I think in some ways uh, for you and like a lot of people, their first forays then into making music and putting music together was the cassette, the cassette machine you were talking about. So you grew up in Brighton, correct? You yeah. grew up in Brighton, um, and yeah. So when did you did you have like a vision or like a something that you you'd aspire to be? Uh, like early on in your music career not really uh, and I don't know what the best how the best way of sort of answering that is I think that me and my friends I met a group of people in a record shop in Brighton it was actually on um, Gardner Street which is close to here and it was a drum and bass shop and it was owned by Martin who is Crafty Cuts Um, he owned the shop Dave Stone who run who used to run uh well did meltdown and run ran the label sour drum and bass label sour back in the day and ed solo who's obviously a local brighton producer drum and bass producer and engineer who's amazingly talented and has done really well um jfb also was in there a fair bit you know obviously the dmc uk champion he was kind of around at the time 
um, and I met a bunch of people in this record shop and Quantum, uh, DJ Quantum was working in there and he was kind of very influential in helping all of us, all these all these youngsters basically kind of come through. Mm-hmm. So we were like, uh, we were into drum and bass and jungle at the time and um, we were like buying records and kind of going to raves and doing all this kind of stuff. And um, we were, I went in this record shop, I ended up meeting them and we've, we, we became firm friends. We've, we're still all friends now. But, but after that, we kind of started like, or we had this little collective basically, and we kind of just did everything together. So we would, you know, any records that we would buy, they would all stay at like one, you know, one guy's house. We, we would all pitch in and get little bits of studio equipment. And like, then we would, everything would be around there and we'd go there and make music. And it was like, we, you know, it was hard, obviously we're all as being young to afford kind of everything we wanted, but by being like, well, look, hey, uh, there's this sampler, you know, why don't you put in this much and then you put in this much and I put in this much and we'll get this, you know, Akai S3000 or this desk or whatever. And so then we kind of had this like pool of stuff that we could use, you know. Um, and so I, when we were all doing that, we did, a, we like, we put on, we promoted a few events as well. We did something at the Escape, which is now Patterns. We did something at the Concord 2. We did something at the Zap, which was digital, which is now the Arch. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a few events and we were going out all the time. We were, go, we were traveling to London. We were traveling to Hastings Pier. We were traveling to Maidstone. We were going to all these kind of all night raves and stuff like that. Um, and so we, you know, I think the way we viewed it was just that we just wanted to do something in music like we wanted i I just viewed it like i wanted to make a living from music basically mm-hmm. that was kind of my first point of you know this is my achievement i just want to be able to say i just make music or i'm, I'm in the music business in whatever capacity that is and i'm earning a living from it and i don't do anything else mm-hmm. um but then of course once you reach that point you're like well actually now i want to do this and i want to do that and i want to get a record played on radio one and now i want you know and all that kind of stuff so I think all of these kind of um, all of these uh, kind of moments come afterwards. But I think initially from the outset for me, I was just trying to I was just trying to do it full time because yeah. of, because of what I love doing. So I just thought, well, if I can if I can make a living at it, it will just allow me to do it every day. Yes. You know, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. and that's kind of the aim, the, the aim, the beginning. You think it's the end game. Mm-hmm. You think that, well, that's all I want. I just want that. And then you get to that point and obviously your horizons have been broadened so much that you're like no I want to travel and I want to do this now I want to play at that festival and I want to remix this person get on that label and you know have you know get in touch with this person or you know and and all these people that you look up to end up a lot of them end up becoming your friends yeah and it's kind of like they become you know you become peers with them essentially Mm -hmm. whereas obviously at the beginning the relationship isn't like that no um it's like very much like a fan you know a fan uh sort of art or fan celebrity you like because to they, to you they kind of are celebrities right they're like these famous people that you kind of have these ideas about yeah. you know um i used to think that like I mean, obviously after i was into the drum and bass thing i was into garage and that's kind of where i really started to you know um like i moved away from brighton and kind of went and lived somewhere else and i met loads of people in the garage scene and started to actually make progress um but like I used to have this idea that everybody in the garage scene was all friends and they all went around each other's house for cups of tea. And <laughs> you have this idea that there's this giant community and everyone loves each other and all that. And because you're from the outside looking in, you think that's what it's like. And then, of course, you get in there and you're like, oh, this person doesn't like that person. And this person screwed this person over with a label deal. And this person doesn't like this. This person's with this person's ex-girlfriend and all, you know, vice versa or whatever. And it's like yeah. you realise there's like a lot of politics and people don't always really like each other. But Definitely. But yeah, initially I just wanted to make a living for music and that's kind of where it started really that's brilliant and uh, i think that's a superb thing that you had between your group of friends where you would collectively buy pieces of gear and share it that's that's quite an amazing way of working and i've never spoken to anyone who's done that 
but yeah you must have had access to way more than than just a singular person who's buying and saving for records and things themselves yeah what sort of gear did you buy in back in the day can you remember yeah we had um Novation Base Station, Novation Supernova, Akai S3000, a Behringer Disc. Um, we had some little, I can't remember what they were, but they were like little effects units. It was like a reverb unit and a delay. Um, it wasn't like a, you know, space echo or anything. It was just like a cheap kind of digital delay mm -hmm. that you probably picked up for like 100 quid or 120 quid or something. Um, it's probably like a boss. And there was like, a, there was like a, some uh, bearing a compressor as well. I can't remember... Yeah. It's a thirty, no, it's not thirty three oh six nine. That's a Neve, but it was something. It was something like that. It was it was some kind of cheap sort of Behringer compressor. And I remember the desk was always breaking down all the time. <laughs> and ever since then, it's really put me off buying Behringer products until the, yeah. the until the Model D. Ah, yeah, until <laughs> um, this new wave. But they, but uh, yeah, they had uh, back then. They had a bit of a reputation for being quite like flaky and would just break down all the time and kind of wouldn't work. And like, we had to send it back. We bought it from Gag actually mm -hmm. guitar ramp and keyboard center and we had to send it back take it back to them and they had to keep ha kept having to send it off to germany all the time so we would just have often we would have weeks where we just wouldn't have it um and obviously at that time you needed a desk you know there was no like well i'll just mix in the software then or whatever yeah you yeah, yeah. Desk. so um but yeah so that's that's the way we did it um I'm trying to think what, what else we picked up over the years. What you also must have done in that collective situation, because you're using the same pieces of gear within your group, there must have also, like, you, there's a shared element of learning together as well. That So, like, maybe I imagine someone would have come in and gone, oh, I found out this thing you can do on that sampler that, like, no one knew you could do. Yeah. With a... Yeah, there was definitely an element. And also it's kind of vibey because, like, you're in a room with other people that you're already friends with anyway and now you're kind of on this learning journey and this learning process and so every day is like you're you know you're making stuff that really if you listen to it now it doesn't doesn't stand up obviously to anything but at the time you could do you know you might just have something cool with a vocal or because you're all kind of at the same level like talent wise you're all learning right so there's no sort of like you're not intimidated you're not thinking oh this person knows a lot more than i do or this person's been playing keyboard for like 20 years and i mm. and i don't know what i'm doing or whatever um there's none of that because so you're but essentially you're all kind of learning essentially at the same rate at that point um and so it's cool because one person will do something and you're all really excited about it yeah, and that yeah, kind yeah. of fosters this you know someone's like oh i just pitched this vocal or like they played a bass line that's like just accidentally played something that's like really musically in key and so of course it sounds really pleasing to you but you don't understand why because they're just like oh no i just press that and then press that what you don't understand was oh yeah well, well that's that's all like all that scales f sharp minor you don't you don't realize that you did that but you did yeah, right yeah, and years yeah, later yeah. you figure that out um and so that's why it makes sense oh yeah you know you did you know we, we've done this trick and you know it's you get all these like awesome little accidents that happen right um, and they continue to happen um, as you kind of keep making music but at the, at the beginning there's like this really nice kind of period where you're just like doing stuff and you're kind of just getting this immediate like reward you're getting this immediate like good feeling back about it mm -hmm. and then add to that the fact that you're in a room with other people that you already really like and you're getting their energy as well and it, it just sort of perpetuates you to keep uh, facilitates and perpetuates you keep on making music really and it just gives you that energy to keep going yeah and sometimes if you're sitting if you if I was sitting in a room probably with all that equipment and I didn't know what I was doing and you know you didn't have somebody else like you're on the synth doing this and messing around and they're trying to do something with a sampler and you'd have to do all that by yourself and it kind of sucks the life out of you a bit mm -hmm. if you don't know what you're doing yeah and, and especially so. the thing of like you say about bouncing off another person it's like for example if you go to the cinema by yourself 
and you leave by yourself is such an empty, hollow experience because you don't, you've got no one to speak to and go, oh, that, did you like the bit when the thing came in? And what was that guy about? You know, it's like... Yeah, trying to answer questions. What, well, how, well how, do, you know, how do you think that's going to end? Or where, where does that go? Yeah. yeah, there's no like shared experience moment, is there? Exactly. Yeah. And it's similar, like, I mean, it's very, it's very rarely happened. You know, when you go to a restaurant by yourself, like it, for me, that is like the worst possible experience of my whole life, going <laughs> right. to a restaurant by myself. I just eat the food really quick and then leave because I just can't deal with... You sort of feel really like bad going, just, they're like, just one, yeah, just me. <laughs> you, know, you sort of feel like it's a real social sort of faux pas, isn't it? You just, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm you really like, you need person. to eat, but you just don't have any friends, do you? <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of, yeah, I, I hear that. I think um, that there's a there's a potentially I don't know how we would measure it or like what data we could use to ex, you know extrapolate whether this is the case or not. But I kind of have a feeling that um, there's a lot of music being made now. Well, I'm, I'm sure of it that there's a lot of music being made by people by themselves. Um, and there isn't always that sort of collective like community type spirit anymore about kind of like, oh, you have a studio and a bunch of people just use it. And, you know, it happens a little bit. And, and you know, obviously there are some collectives and kind of crews that are doing stuff. But like, you know, what you have now with the advent of the Internet and the way people communicate over social media and all this kind of stuff, uh, and especially the way people create stuff, um, is that you can sit in a room by yourself and make music and you can basically release a track to the world without any one other person ever having heard it. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have this like, well, it's finished. Like I made this thing and I finished it and I gave it to my distributor and now it's on now it's on iTunes or Spotify or track source or Beeple or whatever. Yeah. Years ago, that never would have happened. There was no, I just made this thing and I put it out and no one's heard it. I'm the only one that's heard it and I decided that it's finished. Mm -hmm. You never had that. And so to go back to circle back to what you were just saying about having a bunch of people working together, there was this like, you know, there was like a filter element because you kind of had like built in A&R with all these people. They didn't know they were A&Ring, but they were just like, no, I don't, this just doesn't sound right to me. Or yeah. this should be longer or I kind of want this to happen. But what they're doing is they're A&Ring the record. Um, so you're filtering out like, okay, cool. So it's like the wisdom of crowds, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that 10 people can make a better record than one person. Um, is going to hold true for a certain number of times. It might not be true every time because it's you know you might get to a point where you're like too many cooks spoil the broth kind of vibe. Yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. definitely an idea that like well if I play keyboards and I'm and you're an engineer and you're and the next person's a singer and the next person's really good at recording vocals and each of you have got your own job and then this person's like well I'm a mastering engineer so I'll master it for you and then you've got five six seven eight people involved in the production of that record. Chances are it's going to be. Multi, like multiples better and multiples more vibey than if you're just like well I kind of just do everything to a competent level mm -hmm. and that's kind of what you have to do now Absolutely. so I think there's an element of that now there's an element of like there isn't that the the, 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 the vibey stuff doesn't always happen sometimes because you haven't got anyone else to be like no that sounds really good don't touch it yeah. You, you talk yourself out of it, right? <laughs> you talk yourself out of it you make it all really clean you can go back and revise it a hundred times so you do whereas before it was like Right, we've got we've got um, we've got this remix up, right? And it's for I don't know, boys to men, right? And it, it's due tomorrow, and we're mixing it today. You would do like ten passes of that mix, vocals up, vocals down, instrumental, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. drums up, drums down, whatever other elements. Panning things. Yeah, you'd be messing places. around, tweaking the levels. I will drop this bit out on that mix. And you'd have to detail like this on the DAT. Like this is what this passes, this is what this passes. Because you know, next day when you start a new project, all those levels come down again and it's going to be difficult for you to get it back exactly where it was. Yeah. You're changing everything. You're changing all the settings and all your outboard gear, all your compressors, all your delays, reverbs, your message, all the sends, or everything. Everything gets adjusted. So it's not just, there's no, there is no recalling it, right? So that's why you would go to the extra trouble of like, well, since it's like this, let's just do 10 versions so the label can't say, well, the vocal's not loud enough or it's too quiet. You'd, you'd, you'd have everything, yeah. something to cover or at least somewhat go towards making up those potential deficiencies mm-hmm. that you might have because of, you know, human error or being late at night mixing or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you don't kind of, uh, you know, that was the way it was, but now we don't have that. Because you can go back a 100 times and ed- edit it and adjust and tweak and tweak and tweak, you do, right? And that, so because of that, often you can lose a bit of the magic. And I'm guilty of it myself sometimes, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's trying to train yourself to be like, no, that sounds good enough. Yes. You know, let's leave it rough around the edges or, or, you know, certain choices that you make. Um, And so, you know, to go back to your original thing, it's like I think part of that is missing now. The idea that like there isn't other people to kind of filter what you're doing and A&R what you're doing Mm -hmm. just by naturally like not even the sense of like they're trying to be an idiot about it. But it's just your mates being like, yeah, I'm not sure that really works. And that is a natural process of just A&R. That is a natural process of you learning. And that kind of is disappears, uh, disappears, sorry, when you've basically got one person that's like, well, I made this tech house record and like, it's uh, it's finished. That's I it. decided this it's finished. It is, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you well, you're like, you've, well, where's your, arbit- where's your arbiter of quality? Like, did you try and get this on a label? No, it's on my own label. Right, so... You know, would another label put this out? Would it, would they press it to vinyl? If they wouldn't, then it's probably not good enough mm-hmm. to go out. So you should be re. But you know, so then reconsider a, the track. Absolutely, not, not just like market it in a different way. Right, but like it's that. an absolutely different process now in terms of the way people release music and all that. So that's that's why that happened. Definitely, yeah. I think you spoke with Will Ranking about the hierarchy of music and about going into a record shop and having that moment of feeling like a. A, the tiny underdog giving a mini disc to somebody yeah. and hoping that they wouldn't play it on the speakers when there was you know a big name in so yeah that hierarchy seems to have really got squashed now yeah it's, it's so, gone essentially it's yeah. gone and and like i said to him then it's good in some ways because you want there to be this um sort of uh you want there to, you want you want things to be accessible and approachable to people you don't want to you know you don't want to cut off education you don't want to cut off learning you don't want to cut off experiences for people just because they don't have money or they haven't been doing the thing as long as you have yeah. you should want to share it to you know to the best that you can um but the hierarchy for me is a sort of was an essential part of knowing where you fitted in basically with record shops with gigs you know you, you had to pay your dues basically to, to you know, it's a classic you know kind of term that they use in like hip-hop and stuff like that it's like you've got to pay you've got to graft and like pay your dues you know you got to be out there like hustling selling your mixtape or like whatever the equivalent of that is you know going out to parties meeting people talking to them kind of annoying them just being in their ear so like next time they're like oh yeah i know you know yeah of course i'll give this a listen you know and it's just a constant process of sort of like work and you know communicating with people and kind of investing yourself into the thing that you want to be into um and that's kind of gone when somebody can just be like send me that track or whatever the equivalent is you know Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of a bit sad i think because people don't 
because there's like a joy in it too it's like a joy in the fact that you kind of progressed rather than just being like you messaged someone and they gave you something and doesn't feel that doesn't feel like it would sort of be rewarding to me you know yeah you feel like you have these milestones where you're like that was the first time someone called me up and asked me for a track or you know that was the first time i had a vi- uh, a track pressed to vinyl i guess yeah those milestones probably feel good and probably going back to what you said in the beginning about initially not having like a grand plan or like a specific thing that you wanted to do you you get to that next stage and start to see further and go ah oh, i want john peel to play one of my records or you know you start then having these specific objectives yeah and all the time you're learning of course so you know what you don't know all of the things at the beginning you know you you don't know what what's going to transpire and you know where your life is going to go and what music you might be into and what people you're going to meet and like what influence they might have on you and where you're going to live in the future and what influence that has on the music you make because the places I've lived in the world like I've made different music to the music I would I make here mm-hmm. um so I think it has an effect you know that's why you you get this idea that like um uh, bands go you know and live in for four months in like a forest in Scandinavia and they just live in a studio and they just hold up there and they make this album and it sounds completely different from everything else they made yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or they go to like California and then you know they're out on the beach every day and like the sun's shining and they're like oh our album sounds like this now or, you know sound. exactly <laughs> and, and you know and there's, and there's a reason why um, artists and bands do that there's a kind of they talk about well I wanted to go you know go somewhere in a different environment and get myself into a different headspace it's like well you wouldn't need to do that if it wasn't going to have any effect on your music you'd just be like well what's the point I might just stay here because it's always going to sound the same because you know that by going there it's going to change what you end up doing and what it sounds like and so on absolutely i mean that was literally one of the questions i wanted to ask you about was do you find that making music in different places changes like what you're making um and do you do you like making music on the move for example do you do you have like a mobile setup that you can jot ideas i've got some stuff yeah i've got like a small like you know keyboard and obviously a laptop and all that stuff but um i don't know um i'm i'm kind of of the mind that I think it can be cool to just get stuff going, but it's hard for me. I don't know how you would, um, unless you're gonna, unless you're really going to set things up, unless you're going to have a keyboard set up, even if it's a small like micro key or something, mm-hmm. twenty-five key keyboard. If if you're not going to do that, I would find it really difficult, especially if you're if you're making musical stuff, like if you're making, you know, kind of noisy sort of. I don't know if you're making like weird glitchy electronica where you're just like cutting things up um, or if you're doing, you know, kind of bass house or if you're doing maybe techno that that doesn't really rely on much musical movement. It's kind of you just got like a big kick drum and maybe like one bass note and then maybe like a a lead or an arp or something. It's, you know, Hmm. but if you're doing stuff that involves like roads and a piano and, you know, and kind of like you're working with vocals. I like to have vocals in pretty much everything yeah, I do. Yeah, I did notice To that. some yeah, extent, yeah, yeah. whether that's cut up stuff, whether it's whatever. I, I really like, I mean, I, and I tend to really only want to play records that have got some kind of vocal hook or whatever in them. I tend to gravitate towards that more. Um, and if you're doing something that's got a vocal, I mean, immediately you need to know what key it's in. So you need a keyboard, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're going to kind of just thumb away at the like, at the, uh, at the key, at the built-in keyboard in, in Logic or whatever. Yeah, that which really... is not velocity sensitive. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's kind of a, that's frustrating for me to work with. So 
I guess if you're doing kind of, you know, it might be cool to get like drums going, like especially within machine, or if you're doing more kind of sample based stuff where you're just kind of looping it like a disco groove or whatever, mm-hmm. all that stuff can work great. Um, but I, I tend not to do stuff like that all the time. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I don't, don't tend to do loads of stuff on the road. Um, and if I am traveling somewhere, generally I'm sorting out my music for that gig or whatever. I see. So that's kind of how I use that time. You know, if you've got like a three hour train to Sheffield, you think, well, that's probably enough time to sort out music, make some playlists, tidy things up a bit, you know, look through things. So you kind of start to get a sense of like, well, okay, I definitely want to play these things and, you know, re- refreshing your your memory about, okay, I've forgotten. What does that actually sound like? Oh, yeah, it's that one. Okay, cool. I like that. And, you know, so I tend to use it for that for that more than making music going back to uh, the, the influences did you have sort of early in your career did you have any mentors or teachers or people that really influenced and inspired you well there was a guy as i was mentioned him earlier quantum a guy called andy he was a drum and bass dj and he was sort of good friends with a friend of mine mark and he worked in the record shop hvr and he had a show on the radio it's called surf at the time which is now juice 107.2 it was called surf 107.2 at the time and it was kind of like a new legal station and there was a bunch of people on there um they kind of had like local djs who were kind of doing things you know um so if you were kind of a lo- if you were kind of a name uh, that, that was a kind of well-known DJ locally, then you had you might have had a you know a, a show on this station. So he did a drum and bass show on a Friday night or something, ten to twelve or whatever. And obviously he worked in a record shop. He ran a club night called Steppers Convention, which was a huge deal down here at the time. They did they even did a broadcast. Radio One did a broadcast of one of their events and stuff. So it was pretty successful. Um, and he really helped us because he kind of saw that we were really enthusiastic and that we kind of were pretty good for our age and that we knew what we were doing and we were doing it for the right reasons and so he really helped us um and then i kind of got into when i started getting into oh, i met matt jamlamont i got into garage met matt um, matt's helped me a lot over the years with advice and kind of like you know contacts and i've done a lot of remixes with him absolutely yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and I've, we've remixed people like you know all saints alicia dixon craig david uh, the Wide Boys, um, yeah, tons of other people. Um, so that that's all kind of been through him, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, when I was I was about ten years ago, I used to go and sort of live with him during the week, basically. So he had a studio at his place. So I would go up on a Monday and stay till a fr- Thursday or Friday, and we'd just make tracks or whatever. Um, and so yeah, so we did that. I probably did that for about a year. I was living I was living in Brighton at the time, but I'd just commute for the week basically, and then come back and DJ at the weekends and stuff. Um, cool. So that was cool. Um, MJ Cole's kind of become a good friend over the years. Um, you know, sort of more gradually. I've done a couple of remixes for him. Yes, I did. I really liked the one remix. The remix you did of Undo. Yes, that one yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah it's nice. for his new label, Eight Nine Two. I'm actually working on another one for Soak It Up. Um, which is kind of not a priority for him or me, but it's just like there's something there bubbling away and at some point I'll kind of finish it and give it to him. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he's he's kind of like, we, we you know, we chat a bit sometimes and um, if I'm in London and he's around, we'll sort of meet up and have some like sushi or whatever, you know. And so that's great because, I mean, like as you can see behind, I've got the, the, the MJ Cole signed album 
wow. uh, thing that he signed for me. That's and cool. so like, he was probably my favourite producer growing up when I got to sort of 18, 17, 18, and I was get, really getting into Garage. And Sincere came out and sort of even the earlier stuff on VIP that he was doing kind of on also the engineering stuff for Ramsey and Fenn, which was like 97, 98. It was sort of just leaving school then. Um, there was something about his sort of like musicianship that just stood out an absolute mile to me. Mm-hmm. There was like this sophistication to his productions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and obviously because of his musical background. And that's kind of what I aspired to, to be, really. That's kind of what my benchmark was. Like, I want to make an MJ Cole record, you know, musical, clean sounding, really beautiful vocals. And, you know, um, and I kind of really appreciate the way that he went about making music and what his kind of ethos was. Mm-hmm. So he's somebody that's, you know, he, he has maybe not been a mentor directly, but he's been a big influence on kind of the way I view the quality of stuff and kind of the musicianship of stuff. Um, so that's cool. And then I'm trying to think who else really, um, they would be the main ones, but you've also worked with a guy called Max footwork. You've done a few yeah, he's, bits with him. Yeah. He's Canadian. He's a Canadian uh, friend of mine. Um, we just got connected through Facebook um and he kind of was sending me stuff was you know first of all he was like oh i really like this thing thing you've done great track whatever and then we would kind of you know just have some sort of banter back and forth about the music business and what was going on at the time and whatever it might be and so then we just sort of became friends really i've never met him never never spent any time with him because he's in canada well he's in edmonton i think but you know he would just send me these projects and they were kind of like really that they were cool and i was like they're not quite there yet but but like this is a basis like what do you want to do you know shall we do something with it why don't you send me the idea and then i'll flesh it out and um and mix it and then we'll you know we'll do some stuff um and we've actually got a few ideas a few more ideas than 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 other than the ones that came out and there is plans to do something with them but it's just you know like everything finding time to do it definitely but i really like his approach because he's just kind of um he thinks he's not talented at all um but he is and he obviously he struggles with stuff, I guess, like we all do. And so I kind of like this idea of like saying to him, well, look, just send just send that to me. Just don't do anything else with it. Just send it to me and let me do the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I can take a different approach because I'm kind of detached from it because it's not that bit of it's not mine. Yes. So I'm like, well, I'm going to leave that as it is because it sounds fine. And it's kind of been committed to what it is. And I'll add some other stuff and we'll arrange it and mix it. And that's it. You know, and then it becomes a collaboration. Um so that's cool. It's a cool way to work rather than you having to come up with everything. And then, you know, I'd kind of like to do that with some people, like give them 16 bars and say, now you turn that into a six minute record and do all the bits. And, you know, Absolutely. and they're kind of excited by it. They're not jaded by it like you might be because you've like, well, I've heard this for three weeks now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, well, this is amazing. I, I, I want to do this. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to get it finished now. And there's something again about that energy of somebody else kind of driving you on that if you were both sat in the room together the bit that you don't want to do or that you're like oh, I don't really want to arrange it I'm going to go I'm going outside for a cigarette if you smoke or I'm going to get a beer or whatever right yeah you come back the other person's arranged it you know because <laughs> they're really excited by it and so that's a, that's like a good reason to collaborate and kind of get in the same space and it's a shame that we do less and less of that now especially with singers and stuff too because everybody's in different places in the world and mm-hmm. you know years ago you could never do that it was like hey you know, Michael Watford's coming in from America and like he's only here for four days. Right, we better get him in then. That was how it worked. It wasn't like, well, I'll send you the you know the file and I'll you can write to it. A and floppy disk with the samples. Exactly, <laughs> it was it. You've got to be there. You've got to be there, and that was how it was done. And so there's a, there's definitely a benefit 
and kind of a, a sort of nice energy that comes from having other people around you or other people that maybe can pick up the slack and kind of do the things that you don't want to do. Definitely. Because the moment you start kind of having to do stuff you don't want to do that doesn't really move you is when you start to get friction against yourself, you know? And Yeah, friction, I guess, against the flow of making music. Yeah. Dance music has always been, I think you described it as a counterculture. Yes. Like electronic music in general is always like counterculture. Um, I remember as a group of friends, we would always talk about things being underground. We wanted it to be underground. We wanted yep. music that we were playing to be underground. We wanted, yeah, we weren't interested in like a commercial side of it at all. Um, do you think selling out now is different to what it was 20, 30 years ago? Maybe, yeah, because I think for me, it's about intention, right? So, you know, first of all, I don't really care about people selling out. I don't really care what they choose to make. And, and you know, the only thing I would say is that, you, again, it comes back to sort of intention and authenticity, right? So it, what is your intention behind making this piece of music? If your intention is just to make a good record and that's how it comes out and the record ends up doing really, really well and you get on top of the pops or you get you know a number one or you get an Ivan Novello nomination or a Grammy like Camel Fat a nomination like Camel Fat did mm -hmm. they didn't make the record with that intention they made the record with just the intention of let's make a cool club track that's yeah. kind of got a, like a vibey vocal on it and you know some good production and that's it like that that's it that it, it you know it, it's a thing mm. um they they weren't like well if we do this we might get a Grammy nomination like I don't know anybody that thinks like like that I'm yeah, not saying yeah. there aren't people I know it's in the back of people's minds probably when Kanye West makes something he's like I'm going to get nominated for a Grammy for this yeah. but obviously he's much closer to that anyway on a daily basis than all of us are because he's already really really well known um, so for them to get it is kind of even more exceptional even though they didn't win it but but I, I don't think you I don't think you make things with that intention it's, di it's different if you if you decide that you know, you're doing something to be as cheesy as possible with the intention of like, you know, I don't know, getting on the radio or whatever it is you're going to do, because probably that won't work because then, you know, unless you're unless you're going down some really strange road of like you're trying to appeal to particular people, I think it has to be natural to you as well. Some people mm -hmm. just sit and they make like really commercial music naturally. Yeah. But they make something melodically that's like really easy to latch onto, and then they want to work with because that's just what appeals to them. They grew up listening to pop music or they, you know, they go out and listen to that stuff and that's what moves them. And so, for other people, that's not what moves them. They're like, no, I want stuff that that's kind of like a bit dirty and a bit gritty and, you know, it's got or it's got more energy Discord. to it. Or it's faster. Yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, don't don't like all this house stuff. It's too slow for me. I only like drum and bass. So that's the energy. That's the energy level that I want, you know. And so there's a reason that, that, that these things resonate with people and maybe they're not all completely understood. But um, but it, but it's it's a feeling, right? literally you know house is a feeling as the saying goes mm -hmm. and so it's the same for everything else the same for drum and bass it's the same for trance it's the same for hip-hop it's like it's just something that 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 resonates with you and that connects with you and that you connect with um mm. i wonder whether if you say like right we're going to try and win a grammy with this record more than likely in my opinion you're probably going to tarnish that track because you you're sort of discounting the track as being the primary thing the primary thing is like obtain yeah. attention in this location it's like cynical isn't it yeah. it's cynical you're kind of placing the value of like recognition uh, you know of, of kind of like your need to basically be recognized or, or reach a certain milestone above the actual piece of art itself 
Um, and so, of course, then you go, you circle back and get into dis- all, all these discussions about, you know, like, d- is the artist's intention important when making a piece of art? Does that affect how we feel about it? Um, and then that's all kind of like, you know, PhD level sort of musicology stuff. But um, those abstract ideas. Yeah, about, what, you know, yeah, exactly about like, well, what is, you know, um, what what does this thing mean? And how do we define this area of music? And like I say, like, does the does the artist's intention mean anything to the listener? You could argue it doesn't because they they're going to they put their own meaning onto it and, you Definitely. know, and all the rest of it. So I don't know if I don't know if you have to be um, I don't. I don't. I think selling out is different now in a way, in the sense that there's a lot more visibility for a lot more music now. I think there's a lot more platforms um, that deliver music now. There isn't. You don't have to. Like years ago, you had to make a very conscious decision to consume music. Um, you had to go out and buy that CD or that record. You had to go to the record sh- shop, HMV or your local shop or whatever mm-hmm. it was. MVC Woolworths. And you and you had to buy it. You had to choose. I'm going to go into this place and listen to this thing and purchase it buy the whole album and I'm going to go home and then I'm going to listen to the whole album start to finish. And you kind of had this connection to it because you were invested in it more because yes. you've made a choice to buy it. Now you can listen to a playlist on Spotify and you might know the first three records and really want to listen to them. But then after that, you might start doing your gardening or start cleaning the house and tracks four to 50. You have no idea what they are but you're just allowing that playlist to run. Mm -hmm. They call that a lean back experience, right? The idea that you're consuming it, but it's passive. So there's people that that are number four, five, and six on that playlist that might have millions of streams, but you have no idea who they are, Mm -hmm. right? So when they come to town and do a concert, you're not going to see it because you haven't consumed their art in a way that, connected with you yeah, it was like just on thing. Yeah, yeah, whereas yeah, years yeah. ago that wasn't the case if you went and bought a cd from the shop you knew which cd you were buying oh i'm buying wu-tang oh, i'm buying all saints oh, i'm buying it didn't just accidentally end up in your bag yeah and yeah. you were just like oh what's this i'll put it on <laughs> right accidentally got load of this playlist of cds and now consumers are creators right consumers are also creators so we are you know, filtering uh, things on our phone, uh, doing Snapchat and, you know, augmented reality. We're adding text to things. We're making videos and uploading them, even on a consumer level. Mm -hmm. So consumers are creators in a similar way we're doing playlists on Spotify. Um, because we because now people are like well I'm a music fan but now I kind of I'm almost a DJ because I'm sharing this playlist with people of like this is my getting ready to go out playlist this is my you know Sunday you know come down playlist or whatever it might be yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah so so there's all of that going on now so it means there's much more ways in which you consume you can consume music there's more avenues for it um, and you can kind of like you can get a million streams on Spotify. I'm not saying it's easy, but with the right promotion and you know certain things going on, you can get a million streams fairly easily. It's not inconceivable that an independent artist can get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you think about the equivalent of what that means, to get a million plays of your record thirty years ago would have been insane because it would have. There's a, where where were you going to get it played? Conscious decisions yeah. to purchase, the... or either or either on record or either on the radio or a DJ playing it in a club or a concert, you know, as in you performing your own song um, or what else? That Those are really the only ways or someone buying the CD or single or whatever. Mm-hmm. So to get a million plays of that um, was a very different thing. Whereas now it's like, you know, it's free essentially. So people will just play and play and play and play and play. And that's great. But 
Um, so I think it means different things now. I don't know if selling out is is the same concept that it was, but I think I think as well to go back to what you originally where you originally started with that. Um, when you're young, you're really protective of the underground. Yeah, like you're really protective of that culture that and you're like a part of. Patriotic. Too. Yeah, and yeah. You, and you and it does like almost disgusts you. They're like, oh god, that is just so commercial, or yeah. I would never go to that bar or club or whatever because it's it's so the kind of antithesis of like everything that you sort of love and represent, and the idea that again people are going out actively to consume the music that they want rather than just being told, well, you're going to this bar and we're going to play you you know the top 40 and that's what you're going to like um and that's why there's the idea of it being a counterculture because it's a drug culture it's a, a punk culture essentially and so all these people that you meet they're all kind of the same as you you know they're into this different lifestyle they don't want to work a full-time job so for those reasons i say it's like a counterculture they're all creative they like they kind of feel restrained by the normal quote normal world the idea that you have to get up every morning and go to work for somebody that doesn't really care about you, you know, and you're doing some mundane job that you think doesn't add it's any not... value to the world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You want to do something that, that creates um, that creates happiness, that brings happiness in the sense of, oh, I made this thing and now it's out in the world. Um, and, I, and I think there's an element of that. And so a lot of people you, that you meet in these environments and in clubs and, you know, in, in this in, in this business or certainly the friends that I've made over the years and the people that I've met and the experiences I've had have all been like that. They've all been kind of kind of countercultural or sort of like, you know, some people might say they're sort of like hippies or, mm-hmm. you know, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, like in rene- some senses renegades. they are. Yeah. They're like, no, no, it's not. Yeah. They're like, they're like, no, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. I'd rather be, I'd rather be broke and be doing what I want. You know, that money isn't important or less important to them. And there's all that thing. It's like they kind of, they want to have these amazing experiences on drugs and go out with their friends and travel and explore and sort of have these transcendent moments. And, you know, for that, all for all of those reasons, that's why I say it's like, I, I think it's like a counterculture, you know, because mm-hmm. um, you can, conti- because you continue to meet these people and everybody's got a story, you know, and I like that. And I think that's kind of a bit more, um, I think it's more the way we're supposed to be as a species, right? Um, but we've but we've kind of like you know we, we we exist in these very kind of tight, like, sort of lines of like, well, you go and you get a job and you do that and that's you know that's the sensible thing to do and you know none of you are like yeah we're all individuals but only within a certain parameter like yeah don't cross the you have the right to express yourself but not not too much (laughs) um and obviously music and art is a way of completely throwing off those shackles Mm -hmm. so that's why i think it's you know it's been sort of been as important to me as it has over the years yeah it's a very good point that the the i guess like what you're expected to do in your life and the restraints that you're meant to stay in yeah like the music scene can can uh, shift those and you can be what you want to be and you can you can break the rules with even with making music you can do that can't you and that feels fun and that's exciting i think as well historically music's been a powerful force in terms of um what it's actually excuse me what it's actually done for you know minorities for a for historically oppressed people so black people gay people transgender people um, they would all need a need a safe space, right? Which has obviously got a negative connotation now. Mm-hmm. But the 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 reality that these people could go somewhere where they were accepted, um, and so for that for those reasons, it's always been powerful. And even before that, you know, um, it was a it was a way of you know it was a way of slaves um, having solidarity, singing together. 
you know, yeah, creating maintain music, morale and... maintain morale. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, and obviously more recently it's, it's, uh, yeah. So people find these ways of, you know, and even, even before that you'd have people sitting around a campfire, you know, passing on folk songs. And so it's this idea of sort of community and this idea of sort of acceptance and this, um, idea that it allows you to kind of express yourself in a way and maybe in a world or in a place and an environment that uh, sorry within a world that doesn't really want you to do those things and you're doing it in an environment where it where it is accepted mm -hmm. um and so for those reasons it's obviously powerful but um but yeah i think i think that's why again another reason why i, I would consider it to be countercultural. Yeah, you talked about a perfect storm about garage like changing mm -hmm. and i wanted to ask you about um music music in general throughout your career how has the the sort of the scenes shifted and like uh, genres combined well i think that um well the drum and bass and jungle thing obviously is has remained sort of pretty solid throughout um even though I, it's not something i really listen to anymore um, I still obviously have an, a big affinity with all the records that were kind of around at the time when we were going out and stuff and uh, all the old kind of hardcore jungle kind of 1994, 1995 kind of like rave, what you consider sort of rave stuff um, um, and then Garage kind of sort of took over for me about 99, 2000 and I was into it, you know I'm still into it now but I was into it kind of just doing that pretty much exclusively till about 2006 and there wasn't really a scene then after 2002 to 2006 there wasn't really a scene um that was when everything kind of just you know slid away and there was loads of trouble and it kind of became like a very dirty word people weren't using the word garage and people weren't getting remixes done there was no gigs really There was a few people that survived you know like ez matt jam lamont mj cole still did pretty well um so those people i guess that you'd kind of expect but only like the very very top tier of of acts were doing well and then um it kind of came back around i mean i, I kind of moved on to making house about like 2007 or something like that so i started trying to get into doing that um i guess that it came garage for me came back around sort of around disclosure time really um mm -hmm. there was a few people kind of putting garage influences into their productions and um, Disclosure obviously were kind of a major um, part of that because they were kind of very open about the fact. Yeah, we you know we like we love Garage and we like Jay Diller and these are our influences. Um, and then a few people started to kind of put you know uh, put those influences back, as I say. Um, and and then yeah, and the, the, the kind of there was kind of the whole like sort of UK deep house thing that was going on. It was kind of like you know sort of it wasn't really deep house at all. It was kind of like square bases, kind of garagey, disclosurey, um, skippy sort of stuff. But you know it's been great since then really because basically now there's loads of people kind of doing garage again. MJ Cole's kind of doing loads of remixes again for like Dua Lipa and you know all these kind of big pop artists. Um, there's garage festivals now, 51st State, there's a Garage Nation Festival. So it's kind of back in that way. Um, Is it, you, you were talking about cycles of, of, of things yeah. coming and going. Do you think that's, it's like... I think, I think things do move in cycles, moving. yeah. I think it's, you know, it's a new sound for people, essentially. Um, and, and right now the disco thing is back. 
you know everybody's kind of obsessed with disco again now sampling disco records you know te techno and disco put together um glitter boxes kind of i mean just going absolutely like stellar they've got you know high which is the old space in ibiza they're doing that every friday and it's basically just you know playing music that's 25 30 years old as well as some new stuff it's all kind of classic house disco um, modern kind of disco edits all that sort of stuff um but people are writing you know gospel there's kind of people writing gospely kind of disco stuff or gospel soulful house stuff again um so that's cool um yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's great um but yeah there are cycles to it you know and you never really quite know exactly why people get into it again maybe it's one record that just sparks it and they're like oh i kind of like this stuff and then a couple of other producers think oh i want to do something like that and then before you know where you are you've got like a little small nucleus of Oh, these are like 10 tracks that have kind of all got the same vibe right now um, and so that leads to kind of you know a few more magazines picking it up and talking about it and then it becomes like a thing becomes kind of a movement then yeah it was weird also uh, you did mention as you did a bass doom's night as being like a crossover record yeah and that's sort of an example of chaos theory isn't it because how that sort of it was probably one of those records that helped bring Garage to the to the mainstream but it wasn't even a Garage record it was right. just something that was able to hit loads of buttons across just at some yeah there's, a, the right there's sometimes there's records not just in the not just get, that get adopted by the garage scene but th there's so, sometimes records that just they just cross over because they just appeal to everybody they have some they, they have this kind of magic like dust that just isn't isn't intended when they make the record but it just it just has something mm -hmm. and and a house dj listens to it and thinks i can play that a garage DJ listens to it and thinks the same thing. A breakbeat DJ listens to it and thinks the same thing. Techno DJ thinks, I can play that. Yeah. And so it just has this appeal where everybody ends up playing it. And so, of course, the more people in more scenes you've got playing that record, the bigger the record's going to be. Um, and there's kind of some other examples of that, like um, Gabrielle is another example of that. It's not it's not really a garage record. It's a house record. But the kind of mix, because of the, the sort of, the, the rhythm of the drum programming it feels like kind of two-steppy right mm -hmm. um and so because it's got this like really emotional yearning kind of vocal um and this really great music it's just become t a timeless track um you've got things like i'm a good man by martin solvig there's a moose t kind of breakbeat mix right mm -hmm. but you'll hear house djs play that breakbeat djs play it garage djs play it um kind of soul and funk djs will play it because it's kind of live sounding and it's got that kind of funk element to it so again that's one of those tracks that just crosses over yeah you know? i guess double um rip groove by yeah. Double 99 was another one that you just you'd hear techno people playing you just it was just such a great track that yeah it just hit the spot at the right time yeah i, I wonder i'm not sure about the time I'm not sure if at the time it came out, it was, it was, I mean, obviously it did very well and I think it charted and everything, but I don't know if now, if, I don't know if, for example, if techno DJs would have played it then, but they'll play it now because it's kind of like retro, right? And it's kind of like a classic now mm -hmm. and, it, and it, they can make sense of it. Um, so sometimes it doesn't happen with the record at the time, like garage DJs would have played it for sure. I don't know if house DJs would have played it, mm -hmm. you see, because it's a little bit too aggressive and a bit too, you know, it really only works as a garage record in terms of its kind of attitude. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. It's quite but sweet. now house DJs would probably play it because it's become kind of almost a club classic. Techno DJs will play it because they'll drop like random bits of kind of garage into their sets and stuff like that. 
Um, so sometimes it happens with the record at the moment and it just naturally goes everywhere. But sometimes it takes the record to be kind of respected for a while and kind of get its place in sort of culture before people start referencing it back again mm-hmm. and playing it again at a later point. It's such a great track that I don't know why, but it's that vo- the vocal, the vocal that sort of loops in the background. It was the, yeah, the it's Tina Moore, isn't it? Is it? It's never going to let you go. Oh, yeah, right, it's a section it? from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that vote, that EP, I think um, it wasn't even intended to be a serious record. It was, um, it was basically like kind of they were like, well, we'll just put it on there as a third track. We don't think like it will do anything, um, and 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 it ended up becoming the, the biggest record and their biggest record. But of course, it was Tim Deluxe and uh, Omar. Um, yeah. But it's interesting when you hear these stories about kind of the, the inception of sort of records, you know, it's just like, well, we just put it out on a third, on a, on a B side of something. We just like, we needed another track to fill it. And we just thought, oh, that, that would do, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, like where the bass was too loud or the vocal was too loud, but we were just like, oh, don't worry, we'll put it out, you know, and that becomes the thing. It was like, oh no, I like the way the bass is really loud, you know, and that becomes kind of a whole thing. And you're like, oh, we did that by accident. And so, you know, you, you had all those kind of moments yeah, yeah. as well. I do like the one thing I've always loved is like the elements that are within Garage Records, like how hard the sounds are, like the kicks and the snares are always like as punchy as you can possibly get them. The bass lines are always huge, like, you know, big square wavy basses and pitch bends and things. And also the um, like all of the string sounds, they're like general MIDI sounds, aren't they? They're not yeah. like it's not doesn't sound like an orchestra. It sounds like a. A, a sound card from a computer in the 90s which is generating them but that's that was that sound that it had yeah i mean i think the, the garage essentially was always a club scene so that's why the records were made the way they were there wasn't really any i mean you had a few people doing what you might consider like kind of radio garage right like artful dodger were kind of doing songs right and their stuff's kind of quite light and sort of you know, R&B, kind of more like kind of light radio R&B, but at a garage tempo. That's kind of how I look at their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly it was a club scene. So if you wanted to get your stuff played, it had to be quite heavy because people were going out to it. And so the natural, the natural, um, the nat- a natural sort of evolution of that basically is the fact that if you want people to play your music in clubs, it has to stand up in clubs. And there was, you know, obviously there was pirate radio and stuff like that, but people were really just playing club music on pirate radio. That's why the garage scene became as popular as it was, because people were listening to this stuff at home and being like, God, this is going to sound so good in a club. Like, you made you feel like you were in a club already, like the vibe of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It was like exciting. It wasn't like listening to a radio record and being like, well, this is a radio record, you know? And that's why there was like dubs and that's why there was, you know, big bass lines and that's why there was kind of like ragger vocals and MC vocals and all of those things were really about about the fact that it came from a club environment um, when it was kind of 4-4 garage and then obviously you know two-step came along but it was essentially the same thing and i was i was into like kind of heavy stuff i was into like sovereign steve Gurley, you know mj cole stuff although it was musical was always like weighty always had like a weight to it Mm um lb like groove chronicles all those types of things i wasn't really into the like tippy tappy sort of i loved artful dodger 
Um, but then again, again, things start to evolve. Someone's like, well, why don't we, we want to do songs on top of this? So we have to make it a bit lighter and put a guitar in it and make it a bit more musical. And, you know, and, and if you're good enough, you find a way to kind of do all those things um, and tick those boxes. And they were never interested in. And it, it depends where you come from, doesn't it? Like mm -hmm. if you're into going out in clubs and you're cl like what you could say, you're, you're a club kid, like you're going to make music that's heavy. If you're a musician and you've grown up playing the guitar and listening to, you know, bands and stuff you're not going to be like no the kick's not heavy enough you're not going to have that conversation with yourself because you're just going to be like well this is my this is my drum groove and this is my guitar and this is my song over the top like yeah. it's a song that is how those that, instruments are that's how that works <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're not like well this is not going to sound good in a club and you're like well it's not meant to be played in a club i made it because i want to get it on the radio and i want to be, to be an album song and things like that mm. then then that but then again you know that's where the remix comes in right someone's like well we need you to take this and make it a club version okay cool and then it takes it into a different area so that's what's great about a scene it starts to develop and people get their own ideas about like well i want to kind of take it there and i want to get it on the radio and i want to do songs i want to do this thing but i want to put vocals on it okay cool let's see how that works you know and then you get someone else and things splinter off and kind of cross pollinates and that's what keeps things moving keeps things exciting but also kind of eventually leads sort of potentially to the death of it because it gets splintered and people end up doing other things and there isn't always enough to sustain that original thing um yeah i guess it either sort of yeah like dissipates like you say it goes in all different directions or alternatively everyone keeps doing the same exact thing and it sort of stagnates and no one's got any new ideas yeah but in terms of you made a good point about remixes um before in that the it's it's like a medium only in music can you like remix something like you referenced the mona lisa it's not like you could an artist could reinvent the mona lisa and it would stand alongside the mona lisa right so it's a it's a beautiful thing that's in music that you can do these things isn't it like a, have a remix of a, of a seminal track and do your own uh, version of it yeah yeah there's not uh yeah i'm 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 i think that um there aren't any other there are no other art forms where that concept exists yeah the idea really of you cool. do that your own version of this thing and will made the point about comedy you don't stand up at a comedy event and say, right, I'm going to do this Ricky Gervais joke, but I've added some bits to it to, to remix it and make it my own. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, you just copied it then. I'm just going to do the Tommy Cooper stand up for half an hour. Yeah, but you can say... Throw in a couple of my own jokes. Exactly, but you might say, but I didn't like the way that Tommy did this, or I thought he took too long to get to that bit, so I've shortened it, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't like, you know, I don't. It's, it's like the equivalent of saying, well, I really like this record, but it takes three minutes to get going. I'm going to make it happen in a minute. Yeah. right that's like a remix but it's like saying look instead of doing the monologue i'm just going to cut that bit out and i'm just going to go straight into the comedy you know straight to the drop or whatever <laughs> yeah. um you, but you, you don't do that joke you don't do that movie. right that's the punchline right but <laughs> you don't you don't do that in any other art form you don't do it in you know you can copy things you can you know parody things you the satire you can pastiche things or whatever but yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't do a painting and you're like well this is like sunflowers by van gogh this is my version. Mm -hmm. Well, no, but you're like, but you didn't do it first. It's like this is this is not your painting. That is not yeah, but like I remixed it. I moved the bits around and like my it's version. Upside down and like my yeah, my version should is going to open it up to a different audience, and so <laughs> and it should stand alongside. Like I demand that you put it in the Tate Gallery alongside the. They'd be like, well, no, that doesn't. That concept doesn't exist. So they just call the, security. The they? fact, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the fact that you get to do that is a really cool thing. It is good, um, yeah. And and um and has the the effect of basically opening it up to different audiences, which is really, which is what the point of the remix kind of 
was i think initially it started off as a remix right like can you know it was basically someone just adjusting the levels and maybe yeah. adjusting the arrangement a bit like oh, i want this chorus to double and i want the string section to be longer because that's the bit where everyone's got their hands in the air and so that was kind of what instead of the dj doing it live you could remix it in the studio so you had that nine minute version with the like big euphoric breakdown and loads of more percussion and mm-hmm. all of that loads of crowd noise exactly <laughs> and then since then you've had since then it's become a tool for opening up that record to different areas of the market basically so like, well, hey, look, this is a weird, you know, indie record, but what about if we wanted to get house DJs to play it? Well, you'd have to get house mix mm. done. Okay. And then you go to somebody who's got expertise in that field to say, if I gave you this, what would you have to do with it to make people dance to it in a house club? Okay, cool. I know. And then I'll take that bit or I'll strip that bit away and, you know, yeah. and, that, and, that's, and that's what the art of the remix is. Prolifically remixed throughout the years, you've done loads of remixes for for some huge artists. Um, so how how what is your approach to remixing? What's your approach when you're when you're sort of sent on to do? Well, I sort of um, it depends really. Um, I I basically I have to kind of like the track somewhat, or I have to think there's something I can do with it. Um, it's harder to do that with house tracks because they're already house tracks. Um, I'd rather, I was saying before, I'd rather get some stuff that is not house to start with. Then it gives you a lot more scope to, to go somewhere with it. Um, and recently I've been more doing more kind of deep jazzier stuff. So people are kind of, you know, the thing is once you, once you have a couple of records that do well, people know you for those and then they come to you and they want you to do something that's in that style. Yeah, that, like that, br- that blueprint that you... Yeah, they're like, oh, we really like this thing that you did and so can you make it kind of like that? And you're like, okay, cool. And if you're in that zone, you're like, you know... And maybe that and maybe it makes sense for that thing. Maybe the, the vocal is really jazzy. So you're like, well, yes, it makes sense that I would do that in this style. Um, but sometimes they kind of want you to like wedge shoehorn stuff into a style that doesn't really work. Um so that can be a bit of a challenge sometimes you know i mean i'm trying to be really much more selective about the remixes i'm doing now because i've done a lot over the years and unless people are really going to pay me um you know really good money for certain things then i'm kind of trying to or i really really want to do them for various reasons because they're either a great song or it's for a really good label or it's got some other benefit to it then i'm trying to sort of move away from doing quite so many because I'd like to do more original stuff. I'd like to write more songs and do things like that. Yeah. Um, and it, they just take up so much time. I've const- I've usually got at least like three remixes basically to do at any time. That's brilliant. Kind of pretty much consistently. And that's great, but it does mean that you're kind of always, you know, oh, I'll start this thing next week or this person wants to do a song with you or you're talking to this person, we'll get a demo done, but you know that's going to be a week or two away or maybe three and then you've got gigs in between and... It's, it's really hard now to manage everything, mm-hmm. to do it all yourself, to do all your remixes, all your production. Because being creative is not an exact science. So like some days you'll sit there and it doesn't happen. Um, but you still have to get things done. And then you might think, well, like, I've only got today and then tomorrow I go away for three days to Barcelona or to Berlin or to Ibiza or whatever it is. And then you know that you're not going to be back in the studio until Tuesday, let's say then you're already into the next week and you might have something else due and mm-hmm. 
within that you've still got to keep collecting music buying music listening to promos making sure that you're as a dj doing your job as well yes um yeah. as well as then you know trying to learn something oh i've just got this new i've got this new synth and i want to learn it right mm. so that is really like half a day messing around or a few hours messing around it's it's not always time that you have um as well as now on top of that doing social media doing videos being active online doing dj mixes all of these things it's really really hard now to do it all by yourself um yeah so that's 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 a challenge but so yeah with regards to remixes i really try to i'm trying to take less of them going forward and, and this year i have done but um but in terms of my approach i'll basically look at where the vocal really takes me kind of what feeling i get from it and where i think it fits best I will sometimes send a label something that they can like completely different to what they're expecting and hope that they like it. Mm -hmm. um, I do say to them, if you hate it, tell me and I'll keep it for myself and do something else with it and I'll do another version for you. Yeah. Um, but let me know, you know, and you and most of the time, nine times out of 10, they're like, no, I really like it. Even if it's not what they're expecting, they're still happy with it. Oh, that's good. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. But, but um, yeah, that's, that's sort of my approach really. I, I'm trying to be a lot more sort of, specific now in terms of the things i ask for in terms of parts you know you, you have to have good parts you people send you rubbish you know you spend time cleaning up vocals and it's like you're not really getting paid for that um yeah. so you're doing all of that with the idea that it's going to be a better end product with your name on it but you kind of don't want to do all that stuff and then you know the deadlines you're going to be very set on the deadlines if a label says to you we need it back in four weeks uh, or we need it back in three weeks or two weeks and you're like well i can't do that it's a four-week turnaround. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always make sure I get paid up front for all my remixes because I don't like. I, I, I just don't want to chase people for money. Mm -hmm. I've done it too much over the years. You do something for somebody, you're really pleased with it, and then three months later, that you're still waiting for them to pay you. Yeah. You know, and then they tell you they're not going to put it out, and then it comes out, and you're kind of in this whole thing. So now the way I work is just like, look, I understand it might be difficult for you, but the way I work is is this. I'm busy. I've got a lot of offers to do them. If you would like me to do a mix, these are my terms. Brilliant. Um, and you pay the money up front, basically. And I find that it's kind of that works. Position. Yeah, I find it works for me. It works simpler. It means that I then, the person um, knows they're going to get the, the thing back from me within the agreed time frame. I then feel good about that project because I know that, well, they've already paid me. So there's a there's an effort on my side to get the thing done on time Definitely. rather than just be like because people come to you and they say oh can you do an ep for our label and i'm like yeah but you're not offering me anything so it's not a priority like if i have two tracks that suit you in the next few months i'll tell you and and i'll give them to you and we can discuss it yeah but you're not going to jump to the top of my list like don't expect that you will and i understand that you don't you know they might be like well we just don't pay advances up front okay cool that's no problem but i also don't I also won't prioritise working on a project like that yeah. because something I'm not else doing will come in. Work for you. <laughs> yeah, so. and they, and I'm sure I'll get something. I'll get something out of it at the end when the record sells, or or we will get an advance sorted out once I give them a product. But I'm like, you're asking me to create something for you. You're commissioning me to do it. So if you're commissioning me to do it, you should pay me now. Mm -hmm. That's how commissioning works. It isn't just this sort of this weird sort of arbitrary uh, sort of ad hoc idea that like I'll make something for you out of the goodness of my heart because you asked me today you're it's different if I make a thing off my own back and I send it to you and say what do you think does this work for you yeah yeah it does Absolutely. okay cool yeah. that's different because you didn't ask me to do it but you're asking me to create a thing specifically for your label with you in mind 
So it's got to be suited to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I have a bunch of 10 tracks and I can give them to whoever. That work's already done. Yeah. It's a small, subtle difference, but it's like if you're commissioning somebody to do something, I think you should say, well, I'm going to give you something as an incentive to do it then. Because otherwise, you're, it's not going to be a priority. I'd rather do other things. I'd rather work on demos for Defected or Grand Plans or my own label stuff or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's kind of the way I tend to work. But trying to get that across to everybody in a really nice polite way that facilitates dialogue and good conversation and keeps a good energy around because i think i'm an easy person to deal with and Mm. i want to be sort of seen that way but you know the danger of that again with no hierarchy is that people just sort of well i want you to do this thing and they don't understand sort of why you don't want to do it and then they're sorry that's not really how it works like come to Nevada and play. Well, it's not really how it works, mate. Like you, you know, I'm not just going to be there on the off chance uh, and then yeah. decide to just drop in and DJ for you. You know, there, With there's no a, other gigs planned. There's whatsoever. a reason why the, the the infrastructure and the ecosystem works the way it does. You know, yeah. like if for me to go somewhere, there has to be like, you know, what? How would that even really work? Like, I let's say I went to like Milwaukee, right? I just bowled up there and decided, oh, I'm here for three days on a holiday. Then I call up every promoter or every person I know in Milwaukee and say, hey, what have you got going on? They're like, well, nothing, because like, I can't promote a party on two days' notice. Oh, right, well, yeah. but you said to let you know when I'm here. And I'm here. So what's going on? <laughs> They're like, well, nothing. I'm like, well, do you see what I mean? You see immediately how this just doesn't work. Yeah, it needs to know? be uh, formulated, doesn't it? Yeah. It like plans need to be laid. Yeah, that's how people put on parties, right? Like, yeah. you know, you need a venue, you need to promote it, you need money to pay for things. Like, I'm not going to, you can't spring that on somebody. Um, you can't spring that on somebody uh, after two days. Yeah. Uh, sorry, within two days. So, so I think, um, you know, it, it's those little things that people don't, don't uh, realise. Mm-hmm. But I guess you're in a good position. You're in a good position in that you can pick and choose which ones you do now, um, and and you know the pitfalls of of going into a contract with somebody. And yeah, you've probably got a lot of experience in in doing that. Yeah, I think as well, um, as you kind of get more experience and you do more things, um, you're looking for more from a project. You're not really looking to like to just get paid. Whereas that that can be cool, but for me now i'm at a point in my career where everything's got to be really good and i'm looking for everything i do to kind of do something for me you know and so like it's cool to work with smaller labels and and help people get going and i've done loads of that you know people are i'm starting this label and i really love to get you on a remix and you know sort of like you discuss money with them and you discuss these things with them and help them promote it and tell them well this is sort of the way i think you should do it if you want to get the best success and you know so you're kind of like mentoring in people as well and kind of giving them advice and people asking you for feedback and all this kind of stuff that sort of comes with the territory um but there does reach a point where you know for example if you've got management where they say well you're just not going to work for that label because they're not big enough yeah you you need to work for, you need to be on a label that's going to do as much for you if not more as you are for them otherwise the, the transaction's not there you mm. know yes that that label might be paying you but there's a perception it's this business is all about perception now yes and absolutely. the labels that you're perceived that you're on is a perception of what you know what size you are as an artist um, and so whilst I love doing the smaller label stuff and helping people out and I've done loads of it over the years I'm kind of at a point now where I'm sort of having to be like you know, how do you say that to somebody? It's really hard. How do you say, well, your label's not important enough for me? You know, you're kind of trying to approach it in a way where it's like, yeah, you can say, I don't have time or you can kind of go down that road. But, but you know, you are getting to a point where you're like, well, every every label I be on has to increase 
the perception of me as a valuable artist, right? Definitely. Um, and every artist you remix has got to be, you know, like you get to a point where it's like, you know, you look at these big acts. They're not they're not remixing for for unknowns. They're remixing the Sinead Harnets, the disclosures of the world. You know, that's what you do. Your management strategically chooses. Yeah, we'll do that. Di- those we'll places. do that Diplo remix. Yeah, yeah we'll do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Rihanna remix. Yeah, we'll do that. Or whoever's you know Jesse Ware or whoever it is. Um, and so and that's but but I guess the great thing about them is they have those conversations, not you. So everything goes to them, and they say to the labels or you know so, you know it's not that's not the direction he's looking to go in at the moment, or he doesn't have time or whatever. But obviously when it's you and you're running your own business and doing your own thing, it's harder to have those conversations all the time. Yeah, and I guess you've got to be tactful with when you are dealing with small labels because you don't want to piss on their fire if they're just starting out. But yeah, you have to be... And you want to encourage people. Yeah, you want to yeah, encourage yeah, yeah. people. I want people to, 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 to spend money, to invest in what they're doing in their label, in mastering and getting producers to do stuff, paying people for what they make, getting remixes done. Um, putting on events I want people to do all of that stuff because it's it's kind of um, it's conducive to like a good industry and people you know I think people should invest in themselves and in things that they believe in if that's what they're really passionate about Um, and and, it's like the ecosystem of the industry yeah and it's encouraging you know people encourage me when I was starting out people have said keep going like you know, even MJ, even MJ Cole is a good example I sent him a CD when I was uh, it was uh, 2003 you know, and I was just making a few kind of terrible records at the time. But like, <laughs> he was like, he was like, oh, really? I did like a Coldplay bootleg, um, and he said played it on on Kiss and everything. And I sent it to him, and he was like, oh, I really like the Coldplay thing. He's like, you you know, the production wasn't quite there, and everything. He's like, but you're like, you're onto something. It's a cool idea, you know, to take this kind of guitar-y thing and do like kind of like a four four garagey mix with it. Yeah. I did that, and I was kind of sampling R and B stuff, and you know, he was like, oh, I'll, he was even like, I'll send you some vocals to have a play with. You wow, know, so it's kind of like great. you know you can do a remix basically. He probably knew that it wouldn't come to anything, but um, but you know so so that kind of thing. Yeah, so, even those small gestures I think mean a lot. Exactly, to you and, when you're moving, and up, you're excited it, you by know? that. You know, the, you know you, you your friends at the time. You're like, oh wow, my god, just got an email back off MJ Cole. Like, sent him a CD and he's to his studio and he's listening to it. And you know, so so it does does give you encouragement. And so I kind of I'm I'm careful not to to be like that with people. But you you do have to get the balance right between you know accessibility and kind of what you give people versus what they expect and it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult balancing act that I'm kind of not sure that I get right all the time so yeah I think from what I've seen of you you seem to be very um um well mannered and you know not not like ma- not egotistical at all you know very down to earth sort of person so I I imagine you deal with it very well I wonder though whether I'm a little bit too accessible that's my only thing you know I think I'm a little bit too available to people online because you know I reply to everything people always get replies from me they always kind of get what they ask for mm-hmm. in terms of like you know feedback on mixes and stuff there's a few people where I don't do it but um, but mostly I'm I'm very accessible and I don't know I think again I think there's this idea of like of like of like sort of supply and demand right you know if you're if you're um, if you sort of re- if you sort of it's like diamonds right you like you retard the supply <laughs> so that they become more valuable price goes up yeah, yeah and yeah. so uh, if people just think you're accessible all the time I wonder in this modern age of kind of like attention and everything and what that's worth um what that does for you in terms of how people see you because mm. if, I, if I was too busy to just you know if I was never on Facebook uh, or I was never on the socials and I didn't reply to emails for certain things 
that didn't interest me and I just didn't even someone comes to me about a remix I reply to everybody I never ignore people that are like oh can you do something for my label and I'll I'll you know then I'll discuss it and go into why mm -hmm. I can or can't right but I never just completely ignore them like they're worthless Delete. right <laughs> and that makes me feel good as a human being yeah, yeah but yeah, like yeah. as an artist as a career perspective what does that what is that doing for me yeah. and it's obviously hard to measure that either way because you're never going to know about the things you didn't reply to um it's a different path but mm. so but people but people do say to me i think you're a bit too accessible right so and maybe that's, that's the a, thing but. It, that is an interesting way to to look at it isn't it because yeah the music industry is changing and i think from my point of view the the word enigma is key to quite a lot of stuff that happens so like the less you know about something, yeah. the more you want to know about it. Well, yeah, like 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 look at like Prince when he was alive. He was like very mysterious, right? Yeah. Uh, like Moody Man is like a modern example of that, right? Moody Man is this guy who's just got this like mad personality and makes these records and like does these dreads. talks. Uh, he's got like a big afro. Oh, right. Um, he might have dreads now, but yeah, he did the Red Bull Music Academy talk and stuff. He's been his voice has been sampled, but yeah, he's a prime example of that. You know, or when you see things on vinyl and you don't know who the producer is, you're like, oh, this is interesting. What's the story behind this, right? Whereas if it's just like you go somewhere and they've got all the socials and they've got their life on there and they've got their partners on there and their kids on there, the it's like dinner. it takes the mystery away a bit, right? Definitely. Um, and the whole social thing, if I could get rid of it all, I would, to be honest. Yeah, do it. I'd fuck it just off. Just delete it No all Instagram, now. no Twitter, nothing. <laughs> uh, I would just put stuff out and that would be it. I wouldn't have this big fanfare because that's to me that how I was, how I kind of, it never stopped me being into it, but obviously the, the business has changed now. Um, I wouldn't do any of that stuff if I had a choice. Yeah, but I, wonder... I don't think there is a choice now. I know there's a few artists like Atalo Johnson and people they put out a lot of vinyl. I mean, Atalo Johnson don't even title their records. Really, the the, the tracks are called 08, so 08 will be the like the eighth record on that label. And it will just be 08A or 08B. That's what it's called. That's cool. You know what? I think they might have taken... Well, maybe they didn't take that idea off Reflex Records, but Reflex right. Records, Aphex Twins, early yeah. record label. There's an interview uh, with um, Richard and... What's the guy that he... It's someone called Grant Claridge Wilson or something. It's the other guy that runs Reflex Records. And what the interview is like, why don't you give any tracks any titles? And uh, yeah, Aphex Twins is like, doesn't matter doesn't fucking matter what the title is so we just call it like x4167 yeah <laughs> yeah and it's a really good point it's like to me it's just about the music the title doesn't doesn't matter at all yeah. so uh, yeah i i think enigma is a key word that i think about a lot in terms of yeah like if people give you five percent of a story the human brain will generate this 95 percent of the other things and fill the gaps so yeah, I think a, a healthy balance of being not accessible is probably a good thing uh, for an artist. I mean, artists like Burial, uh, yeah. Banksy as well, you know, things like that. People were like, oh, I don't know anything, but I want to know more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe it's, it's perhaps good advice. People are saying that you're too accessible. So um, now it's just about figuring out how I pair that back and like what that looks like and, you know. But oh, he's so rude now. Five years ago, such a nice. I know. Guy. Well, that's well, the ego. That's gone the problem, isn't now. it? People are like, oh, he started doing these things. He's doing defecting in Croatia and Ibiza. And now he's all of a sudden he's like, you know. But that's Mr. that's Big the sort of problem. <laughs> I guess if you have management, that that um, that kind of 
removes a big part of that because you can then just say, well, you need to speak to my management. Yeah. And then they kind of filter things for you and deal with, have the difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. You're talking to them every day or every other day, but they're doing all of the direct dealing with people. Yeah. Um, so that can be a cool thing. But then, of course, again, it's a, rela it's a relationships business. That's the thing, you know. You are kind of sort of you are dependent on and beholden to in a way the relationships that you make the friends that you make basically if, if they think of you before anybody else for that gig or for that remix that's because of your relationship with them Definitely, yeah. um, and you have to be able to do the thing that they want to, to a good standard and have the talent to do it but like you've got to sometimes just be first in their mind that is what helps you get that thing oh I thought of you mm. alright cool you know um, and so it is a relationships business and it, you do sort of live and die by the people that you know like you know the classic it's who you know not what you know um, but uh, yeah, it's balancing that with, you know, with trying to be a bit more of an enigma. You're really established now as a DJ as well as a producer and remixer. Um, it'd be really interesting to hear, like, where where has your DJ career taken you? over the world uh i've played all over the u.s or well, quite a lot of the u.s i can't remember how many states it is but it's like between uh, between 10 and 15 states i've done in the u.s which is a fair amount um i've done a lot of places in europe like um and sort of eastern europe like georgia uh russia uh, Portugal, Portugal switzerland, switzerland um yeah. obviously amsterdam and in holland um yeah, I'm playing Barcelona tomorrow for Off Sonarves in Berlin a couple of weeks ago. I'm in Ibiza this month as well for Defected, Croatia in, in August. That'll be the first time I've ever been to Croatia. Mm. That looks um, like a great party. The yeah, Defected it looks it looks thing. awesome. I've heard so much good stuff about it. Um, and obviously Simon, who runs Defected, and that, that whole kind of Defected crew, it's like a big family, really. So I'm sort of happy to be doing that and hopefully, you know, going forward, getting some music out on their labels and stuff. That's the idea obviously just got to send them stuff and kind of work that relationship and, and actually have music that they're going to be uh, happy with and want to put out. But but in terms of the festival, it's like, I mean, I know loads of people that have gone the last couple of years and it's just, everyone's a little bit older. People are just there for the right reasons. They're all kind of, everybody knows each other really because it's, it's I mean, there's like 3,000 people, but it's basically one big family. So it's great. Um, I love the guys that work for Defected. Wes Saunders is like a really good friend of mine. He's awesome. Uh, I really like Andy Daniel. He's got a good ear. Really great A&R guy. Um, Simon's, I mean, obviously Simon's a bit of a legend anyway in the music business. And if you're not going to listen to these people um, when they give you advice on your music, you're stupid. You yeah. know? If you're not going to, to listen to it, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, Sam, actually, I'm doing my own thing, Simon. Yeah, Thank it's okay. Much. It's all right. I think I've, I think I've got this. You know, <laughs> Even though you've sold like millions and millions of records, I, I think I know a bit better. Luke Solomon also is someone that I've, I've kind of looked, always looked up to as being, obviously he was you know, classic co-founder with Derek Carter. Um, and so he's always played really good stuff and kind of never really played like what you'd consider to be the obvious stuff which I really like about him. Um, and Sam Devine's awesome as well. She's kind of like a, a sort of, not, I wouldn't say she's a good, good friend, but she's like a good mate, you know. Um, we're talking about going out and having a dinner soon and all that sort of stuff with with, uh, with um, uh, her boyfriend, or soon-to-be husband, should I say, mm. Hatcher, who's also sound. So, you know, so there's, there's loads of people there that you kind of get on with. And again, it's like a kind of like fat, big family, really, you know. Um, so I'm really looking forward to doing that. 
and um, I'm going a couple of days early before my sets to like hang out and have conversations and do all that all that side of it. Oh, that's good. And then as soon as I leave there, I'm going straight to Ibiza the next day to play for them as well. Nice. So I'm doing three sets on the Saturday at Croatia and then I'm doing one on the Sunday in Ibiza. So it's going to be a pretty full-on day, the Saturday, and then I've got to get up at crazy time to leave for Croatia, uh, leave for Ibiza. But, you know, Superb. that's the name of the game, right? Yeah, So yeah, you have yeah. to do it. And it's like the summertime, it's like where everyone parties, it's yeah. the place to be. Everyone's going to be in a good frame of mind. I'm hoping I've got like a bunch of music kind of done or there or thereabouts so I can play some new stuff and test some bits out. And that's the aim anyway. That must be so good to go out there knowing like this is the season for house music and, and, and for parties and I've got a new track I want to try out, you know, that must be such an amazing thing to crossfade into that new track you know? yeah it's trying to get everything done though that's the thing it's trying to be like i've got to you know i've got to be on point as a dj i'm doing three different sets i'm doing three three diff very kind of different sets musically so mm-hmm. i've got to be prepared for those i want to have you know you've got to have everything set up in a way that is like i want my own edits of things because i'm very particular about what i play um i want to make playlists i want stuff that other people are not going to have i want to have my own stuff it's yeah. a lot it's a lot i mean ju- just being a dj just being a good dj is a full-time job yes scouring yeah, yeah, yeah. finding music um making sure that you're practicing that you're technically you're on point you're using the equipment well that you're doing all that stuff buying music listening to promos doing your own edits of stuff to kind of so it fits in your sets and doing the DJ mixes and the guest mixes that people want off you, that's a full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. To do that to the best, really? to, to do it really well, to me, it's a full-time job. It's almost like being in medicine, because in medicine, it's like a constantly changing world with like you know new drugs that are coming in and new procedures. So you've always got to be reading up on the things that are happening, almost on a monthly basis, and it seems like DJs is a similar situation. Everything, every gig you do is different as well. I mean, maybe you reach a point where you're you're playing at some massive festival, right? Like you're like Oliver Heldens, right? So you're you're going and playing at this festival, and pretty much what you play is set, because there's twenty thousand people there, and unless you play like a complete disaster, they're all pretty much going to stay there, right? So you know you play within this ballpark of like, well, all these things fit. I can play any of these. You might have it prearranged, you might not, but you know in this folder you're probably going to play twenty of these records or fifteen of these records, whatever, and so you just play them there isn't really this idea that like you're affecting what's happening on the dance floor you obviously want to play music that people love in that moment and that they have a moment to and that they relate to and that they're big moments in the day right you want to have those Mm -hmm. but if you play something that people only like only 80 percent of the people really like it they're not really going anywhere you're going to lose attrition like a few people are going to walk off and do different things and go to a different stage but mostly the chunk of people are staying there because they've waited there for hours or they've been there for hours right it's different if you play in a club. Like, you've actually got to play the right music or people... You're this far away from people. You you mm-hmm. know whether they're having a good time or not. Um, whereas at a festival, it's just like everybody's there. It's like this homogenous kind of crowd, right? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. when you're doing those types of things, it's a bit different. When you're doing clubs and stuff a lot or like you're doing a pool party or a beach thing or whatever, because I, I do a lot of that kind of stuff too because I've done a lot of the deeper stuff. So I don't always get to play clubs, although I like doing that. So then you've got to think about where you're playing. There's actually a, a thought process of like, well, where am I playing today? And like, oh, I'm playing in Berlin, but I'm playing with this type of 
lineup. Mm-hmm. So I've got to kind of play it this way. And then the next week you're in Barcelona and it's like, I'm doing a pool party. Right, well, it's probably going to be completely different. Totally then. different. Yeah, and it's the daytime, it's not the nighttime. So you're actually having to think about that. So that takes work. The, the idea that you just turn up and play records is a weird one because you don't. Like mm. there's a whole, there's hours of preparation before you even get to that gig to do two hours of music. Definitely. You know, I'm already thinking about, I've already spent last night downloading music, going through promos. I've got to sort out my record box, sort out all my USBs, make sure I've got all my equipment, do all that side of it. And then you're already kind of thinking about all that before you get to the gig. So you've already invested time. It's a huge investment. And this is aside from the technical investment of, for example, knowing that at the end of this track, there's like a half second beat before the drop that makes it go out of, of the, you know, the, the sort of beat match mode. Like knowing all the records inside out is another element uh, right. on top of it. Yeah. But I mean, what, what's Ibiza like? Can you sum it up for for me as someone who's never been and for anyone else who's never been to Ibiza what's it like to go out there and DJ and play it's great I think um I think Ibiza is like again is one of these places that's got like a special kind of energy you know and that's why people sort of really like gravitate towards it and obviously for house music it's been very influential in spreading that sound and kind of and it's had a yeah it's had a huge influence but um it, again it's like one of those kind of like milestone moments you know it's like these things that you sort of look forward to doing or you think about oh it'd be great to do that one day um one you know to something to tick off your list but then of course mm-hmm. once you do that there's always other levels that you want to go to yeah. you're like well yeah i've played for you know i've played for this club now i've done this thing for this person but now i want to play i want to headline this room or i want to play main slot for defected or i want to do this thing for this you know brand or whatever so i think all of that happens i mean unless you happen to be very very fortunate and you're somebody like Carl cox or um you know and you're kind of the king of ibiza so you can sort of do what you want right but but for most people it's i mean it's great i mean it's great the summer comes around and it's great to go and hang out and do all that stuff and um and it's great to be somewhere where it's like really warm and um, everyone's in a good mood, and and also from an economic perspective, it's great because usually uh, you're de- you're DJing on a night that you wouldn't be working over here, right? Oh, so like a Sunday night, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. defected every Sunday this year, for example. Sunday or Monday or Tuesday is great. I mean, yeah, it breaks your week up and makes certain make production and studio a, a bit harder, but a Sunday night you wouldn't be DJing over here you'd be indoors right mm-hmm. like you, unless it was a bank holiday so Which it's great because it now ex- extends your working possibilities to three nights a week as a, during the summer as opposed to just two that's cool so that's kind of cool because then you're kind of constantly in the flow of and, and de- going out and DJing is like and playing your own music and playing records and keeping keeping in that flow is so important you know if you, if you, you you're um, especially if you don't have equipment you don't have your own equipment um, then you might go a month without DJing or, or I don't know, two weeks or six weeks, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you just love playing music, that's hard to do. And also then you've got all this new stuff that you've not played yet. So you haven't, when you talk about that technical aspect of yeah, knowing, yeah. right, the vocal comes in here or the thing goes out there and all that side of it, that's kind of crucial to to understanding all of that. And Definitely. without that, you don't get to do it. Mm. I really liked your analogy of... Um, uh, America gave birth to house music and Britain brought it up. Yeah. Is Ibiza like going to the grandparents' house for a little bit and just doing whatever you want for a while? Is I guess like so. <laughs> yeah. I guess it is. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, London's kind of, you know, London's like that too, um, in the sense that there's, there's a lot going on and there's loads of choice and like, um, 
there's those kind of creative people doing like good parties and stuff but um but you're right i mean i just i think as well i think as well it's um i think we attach in this country we attach a very particular sort of meaning to it because it's not warm here all the time and so english people are like obsessed with holidays anyway right mm -hmm. and warm weather anyway there's this kind of idea that there's like a getaway or a week in the sun you know yeah. whereas like people that live in america don't necessarily have that concept people that live in florida or california don't have that concept because it's just warm all the time yeah, yeah. but over here we're kind of attached emotionally to the idea of the sunshine anyway and to and to, and to holidays yeah. yeah so when you when you put that together with music and being outside all day and having this carefree time, all of those things go into the reason why it, a place kind of becomes magical, mm -hmm. right? Um, because you're kind of living your best life, but you're also doing it in a, in a place that's, you know, so sort of geared towards like having fun, right? And being warm and being outside. And a lot of the things you can't do when you live in England mm -hmm. and you're kind of like, you know, obviously it's, it's a big part of English humour to talk about the weather and how grey it is and all this kind of thing. And this is the complete opposite of that. Yeah, so I think yeah, that's yeah. had a big part of it, as, uh, a big part in, in it as well. And it's kind of in its legacy and it's kind of like law, you know, the folklore of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I guess also in DJing, the image is, is quite an important thing that... Um, um, I, I, in production and in music in general, the images is is heightened now, isn't it? And I think, and you had an incident earlier on this year where, <clears throat> where you you were told you were asked to would would you like to explain what happened? Yeah, so that? basically, um, it wasn't me that dealt with the um, actually dealt with the emails. Um, it was uh, Kelly, who's my fiance, but she also does like some admin and bookings and stuff for me. Um, to take some of that away from me, basically, so I don't, you know, so I don't have to have to do it. So it saves me some time to be creative. Um, and so this inquiry came in. It was like a very basic inquiry, and the the person was like, "Hey, I'm representing this brand, and um, and we, you know, we're interested in in booking Scott for a couple of parties. Um, and you know, can you? I think it was like, can you let me know about his availability or something like that? Mm, so they approached you. They approached. Yeah, you. it was kind of just cold, straight out. Um, and she went back and said something along the lines of, um, oh, yeah, yes, uh, this is the fee. Um, Scott's available. Like, what, what dates are we looking at? This is generally the fee. And there might, there, would be, there might be a potential for a discount on the fee if both, if both dates are booked at the same time mm -hmm. and both deposits are paid to confirm. Um, and he would also require, you know, hotel accommodation, transfers, etc. And then oh, I'm trying to str struggling to remember the exact conversation because it's been obviously been a while now. But but basically then um, there was like a week that passed or something, and I think maybe she went back to them and said, "Oh hey, is there any like movement on this or whatever? You know, do you need any more information or something?" Mm -hmm. And they essentially the person came back and said, um, "Oh, you know, after discussing it with the team, we've decided to not to go ahead with booking Scott. We we don't feel." Um, his image fits or something like that yeah and very she, vague yeah so she would kind of press them on that and was like well okay f no problem like it's no problem if you don't want a booking that's not an issue but you didn't you've added this extra bit in afterwards 
Um, so obviously, naturally, you're going to be like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah. that's and, kind of, and they've approached sort of, you in the first place Yeah, it's as kind well. of provocative to say that. You could just not say that. You could just say, oh, we went in a different direction or we don't have the budget or we made different choices or we, we, the lineups fall now. It was an afterthought, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. They chose to say the image doesn't fit. And so then she was like, well, what do you mean the image doesn't fit? And then that's when, you know, that they came back and said, well, we've, you know, we, we had a look at a few pictures and it like appears that Scott's a bit overweight and overall just doesn't really fit with our Ibiza ethos and image, right? Or like vibe or whatever they said, I can't remember. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of like, and, she, you know, after she didn't reply after that. But um, yeah, I think you dealt with that situation very well because, I mean... I think there's other people that probably would have shouted out who it was and, yeah. and, and where they were and let's all hoard these people and destroy them yeah. collectively. But you didn't do that. You just you just explained the situation. And it was it was a really good I think it was a really good sort of um, indication of how superficial some clubs can be and, uh, and about how superficial the music industry can be at times isn't it yeah and, I, and ibiza has kind of been guilty of like of getting a bit like that to be honest you know with all the sort of bottle service places and people sort of being obsessed with what they look like and kind of hashtag ibiza body and it's like the idea of sort of like having to look a certain way because you know and a lot of it comes from girls because they feel under pressure that's why they feel under pressure with their image to conform to certain standards or be mocked basically yeah and guys have come in for a lot more of that over the years over recent years you know men's grooming now is a big thing like men kind of putting as much effort into their appearance as women did mm-hmm. i'm not sh- saying men shouldn't care and all of this and, but i don't think women should care as much either i just think it's um it's it's something that's within society generally and so it's going to permeate other things it's going to permeate employment it's going to permeate the music industry the fashion industry whatever it might be um and for me i i genuinely i genuinely most of the time see the funny side of things so if there's an opportunity to like make a joke about something i'll make a joke about it you know and worry about it later um and i'm kind of like that in my personal life you know i I don't don't let a good joke go to waste right (laughs) um even if it's kind of a bit close to the edge or, or funny or whatever you know or kind of a bit edgy or whatever but like so really me sharing it was sort of just to sort of just to draw some attention to like the ridiculousness of it really yeah Um, it wasn't like oh my god i'm really hurt and upset by this thing it was like hey look how stupid this is um but uh, there was a little bit of a temptation i suppose to just be like yeah these people should just like we should just say who this is Mm. but um but there was loads of stuff happening behind the scenes like people reaching out to me um like that like uh like i even had pr companies reaching out to me i had like legal people reaching out to me and saying oh you have to be really careful about what you say about this venue and stuff like that um because they will can turn around and say well this person doesn't represent us and you're kind of you know defaming our business and etc etc um and there were other people that were coming out and saying like you have an obligation to say who this is like someone in your position you have like a moral kind of obligation to, to out these people yeah more than one person but then other people were like do you want to come on and talk about this and i was like well i don't really mind if we talk about a bunch of stuff and talk about that for a bit but i don't want to go on your show and talk about that for an hour yeah because that makes kind of a mockery of the fact that i've said i'm trying not to like profit from it, you know? on it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all well and good if you say oh hey talk about your career and your life and then there's five minutes where you talk about that thing i think that's fine and i, I even i suggested that to people but you know, I even had some um, company in Germany that were kind of the equivalent of like the BBC, but they were like, it was like the music part of there and they were like, oh, you've come to our attention. Do you want to talk about this thing? And I was like, 
not really you're like a major news agency you know um i had uh yeah, and then DJ Mag picked it up, Mix Mag picked it up. But what I kind of found annoying about the whole thing really was that a lot of these publications that print that that said something about me, they haven't ever supported my music. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they've bothered with me. Do you know what I mean? And I get, you know, and that that just again again plays into the idea that like drama and sort of you know negativity Scandal. is like the way to go about things yeah it's yeah, like well yeah. hold on a second when i put an ep out or when i did a remix on defected or when i did this thing you weren't interested you didn't write about it but now this story's come out that you didn't even report you've picked it up off somebody else it's like lazy journalism you know it's just like you know mm-hmm. mix mag prints something or presses uh, put something up and they become like a reuters right they're like the news agency everyone goes and gets that story yeah yeah. So yeah, yeah. you didn't source that story yourself you're not the one who is telling the story um but yet you know you you kind of want to you want to you want this thing now for people to talk about um but you haven't you've it's not like there's not like there's loads of stuff up on this site that's about my music or my dj mixes or places i've played or whatever yeah. you haven't bothered with me up until this point and now you're you know yeah. now you're interested exactly um, so that's a bit disheartening but yeah, but I again it's dis- the nature of the business yeah exactly but i think it's a good it's a good uh, thing for younger people who are maybe getting into music to see that those sorts of things can happen and um, I think most people, I mean, everyone that I saw on the social media was like totally supportive of you and was like, well, this is bullshit, you know. I think that's the good thing. Integrity is something that you can sense from people, isn't it? It's something that you can, you just know that that's this is a good thing and this is a bad. And I guess for that company, they're not going to prosper and maybe karma will come back to them in another way for, for, for this weird behaviour. I think as well what's what's interesting about the whole dialogue that was had with them is that it it doesn't like I wouldn't probably have ended up doing the gigs anyway, you know? Um, knowing kind of what what they're about and you know because because at that at the point it was literally just a preliminary discussion. Like, hey, this is the place and this is and I'm like kind of you know I'm talking on behalf of them or we work with them or whatever and um is this something that you're open to okay cool well this is the fee like what dates are we talking about they might have turned around and said this date and I would have you know we would have been like well I can't do that date yeah. so it that's the end of the discussion anyway yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. so that's the thing I, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing it based on kind of where it was and sort of what the clientele is and like you know, you are you you do you do need to try and pick things that fit with what you're doing, right? Whether that's remixes, whether it's labels that you're working with, whether it's gigs, it all kind of needs to make sense. Um, so you know, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing it anyway. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what's what's weird about it. But but yeah, I think the way you dealt with that was fantastic, and there's 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 a way that you could have dealt with that which would have been detrimental to them and you. But I think the way you dealt with that with humour and humility yeah it was really good and, and and yeah like you didn't out them you were you know you were yeah I, ha- I had a lot of yeah i had a lot of people saying the same thing i'm glad i'm glad i did it in that way in the end yeah i'm glad i did it that way like i say there's always a small temptation to sort of just react and be sort of angry about it in, in the initial like to you know to, to to do that thing and then once it's out there it's out there and then it becomes a whole other thing um especially with the way people picked it up and, and put it on blogs and stuff like that it would have been you know there's no way there's the thing there's no way of putting it back in the box once it's once it's gone, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad that I approached it the way I did in the end. Definitely, it's a good uh, thing for people to learn from.
So just yeah, what have you got? Have you what what are you working on the moment? What are you what what's what's in the future for you? Well, I'm working on like three more EPs for Grand Plans at the moment. So there's like loads of stuff that's kind of just been on the boil for like I don't know nine months or something. Um, on and off, some are a bit more developed than others, but so I'm doing that. Uh, a couple of remixes in the pipeline. I've got something coming out for Husky next week. It's an Australian producer. That's going well. Um, so he's happy with that. That's coming out, yeah, next week. I go to Barcelona tomorrow to play for Off, uh, off Sonar event. Um, then Ibiza next week. Um, and then July I'll be in the studio, um, like, hopefully working on some original stuff as well as the Grand Plan stuff. There's kind of, you know, the stuff for Defected, which I'm kind of hoping that... Um, I can get the right material to them and we can work kind of on doing some songs and some original projects because I'm, I'm hoping they'll, you know, they, they want original music that they can sell and publish and, you know, um, and so I'm hoping that I can kind of, well, the, 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 the conversations are already kind of ongoing or have been ongoing about, well, hey, look, if I do this thing and I send it to you and you can get somebody to sing on it and we can kind of do it and it's a collaboration and then hopefully I think they sort of feel, you know, the label then feels invested in it because they helped that thing happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know that's that's a, a sign of a good label to me you want to facilitate people making music and good things happening it's like if you're a publisher you get your producer that you're publishing and a singer that you're publishing and you put them together yeah because you own the publishing for, for that and you're also facilitating things happening so that's kind of what defected partly do which they're good at is they say well actually this person might sound good on this or this person should remix this right and you're kind of looking to put together things that make sense um so i'm doing that so hopefully that's going to be a long-term thing with them i'd love to get kind of a long-term relationship going with them because i think it's a place that i fit in quite well um, so that's good, and then obviously Croatia and Ibiza in um, in August, um, and then yeah, some other sort of gigs on the horizon. I'm doing like Edinburgh, or Glasgow, and stuff. Um, and other than that, it's just keep on making music, really. Um, mm-hmm. Keep doing, yeah, just keep on making as much music as I can. Um, and 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 like I said earlier, trying to focus on doing more original stuff, less remixes. Yeah. The label Grand Plans is something that we're looking to kind of build as well. We've only done four releases, but we want to kind of get that up to like nine or ten as quick as possible, and then maybe start doing a few, a uh, couple of little pop up events here and there, kind of some merchandise and things like that. And doing, you know, we've got a website, um, so you know that's it's kind of very basic at the moment but the idea is that will become a thing and we can kind of sell the music through there as well as do the merch and stickers and all that sort of stuff um so that's what we're thinking but i want it to be sort of an actual serious label i don't want to have like two three or four releases and then be like hey buy our t-shirts you know um i I want it to be a kind of an actual thing and the other thing as well it's it's so different from the other stuff i'm doing i think that it makes sense if i kind of position it as an outlet for like this is my jazzy deep house stuff you know, or this is a jazzy deep house label like Free Range or like Fook's label or whatever. It, it's on. It's in that mode. But I do other stuff as well. But when you hear, when you see my name on Grand Plans, you know it's going to be that. Mm. Um, and then we can kind of do something. And we, we will sign other people's stuff too. But it just has to be really good. And yeah. right now, I haven't had anything that I've been like, wow, this is like really, really good. I'd rather put my own stuff out mm-hmm. um, because the amount of money we put into each release, I'm not going to invest that into something that I don't really love. And that's why it takes me so long to get the releases together because, you know, I'm I'm picking from only a certain number of tracks. Um, but th- that's the idea with that. So that will keep going. Um, yeah, and just continuing doing some sound design projects, doing the sample label as well. Cool. And that's it. Just keep, keep going, basically. Good. Well, you're doing tremendously well. And like I said to you on Twitter the other week, I don't know anyone who releases as many records as you do. 
And your response was, you don't think you're doing enough of them. <laughs> no, I don't. And the, this is the thing. It's a lot of it's remixes as well. That's the thing. A lot of them are remixes. Mm. And that's great. You're right. It's still putting something out there. But I think remixes and original records do different things for you. Like, yeah. you know, people, you sort of really get big. It's very rare that you get big from just being a remixer only. People really look at your original material as like a kind of reflection of like who you are as an artist. And mm -hmm. so there's, there has to be a lot more of that happening from from me, I think. And that's kind of what I'm... Cool. working towards and maybe dial back the accessibility <laughs> maybe dial back the accessibility yeah yeah we'll have, i'll have to look at that i think cool and just one final thing um in terms of aside from music what where do you go like as a place of serenity to relax or what do you like to do where you you can get a release from it i like uh well i mean obviously spending time with my fiance is awesome but i mean she's not here at the moment she's in america so um that obviously is that doesn't happen right now but i like um like the, all the usual spending time with my family like my nephews and nieces and stuff that's kind of the, the usual response isn't it but i like making drinks i like mixology and cocktails and oh fantastic I'm kind of interested in the sort of science and art of like making drinks so nice. i'm interested in that um yeah, I mean, in, in all honesty, everything's kind of music related. I love good food, you know, I really like nice restaurants and kind of that, that kind of thing. So that's cool. Um, but it's, uh, and, I, and I'm a big Chelsea supporter as well. So oh, yeah. I love my football, yeah. So the World oh, Cup, I'll be all over. I've yeah, got to strike yeah. the balance between watching the World Cup and yeah. still getting loads of loads of stuff done in the next month. I so think that's every, going to be a challenge. every producer's challenge for the next month is like keeping an eye on what's happening. Yeah, we were quite lucky today in that the fixtures weren't like big ones, but we have got Spain, Portugal tonight, right. which is which is yeah, Morocco, Iran is like on roundabout now. I think I'm not too worried about that one, but <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's a challenge. Great. Well, thank you very much for Thanks, talking man. to me. It's much been great to speak you. to you. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thank you. Oh, it was really good to speak to Scott. Uh, he was a really really nice guy. I think he lo he looks like a real tough guy. I was a bit worried about that one, uh, but he was really cool. And really insightful too, he's quite a deep thinker and um, really quite open to talking about things on, on a level beyond, uh, beyond the superficial, which is fantastic. And it also turned out that that Spain-Portugal game was an absolute classic of the tournament too, so it was a good day. Okay, next month I'm speaking to a mastering engineer who has had a ridiculous career and I'm not even, I can't even begin to explain artist that he's worked for it's, it's it's a who's who of british rock music so look forward to that one next month that'll be out in early december uh, thank you very much for listening i am midiera this was midiera meets and i'll see you again soon